0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, Today's scripture reading is from Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 to 29. We'll continue our sermon series on the big reveal. Here's the scripture uh, from Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 to 29. Uh, Open up your Bible. Open up your Bible app. uh, Let the glow of your screen be on your face as we read the word of God. Here's what it says, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patience, endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, What you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them, and with a rod of iron, as with earthen pots or broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. Your word is living, it is active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. So God, I pray today as we hear your word, will you cut deep into our soul? Will you cut deep into the crevices of our hearts? Because your word says, he who has ears, let them hear. So Lord, help us hear, not just with our ears. Help us hear your word in our hearts. Help us to hear your word with our mind. So that we will go do your word. Go be obedient to your word. Father, I pray that you will be with us as we look at the church of Thyatira. The letter that you yourself wrote and penned. Oh God, are some harsh, harsh things said. Typical things that perhaps we want to just go around it. But Lord, give me boldness. God, give us sensitivity of the Holy Spirit to hear your word and be reminded and be challenged and to rebuke if at all possible, if needed. And let us be encouraged by the promise that you have given to us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. As you know, we're going through our series, uh, The Big Reveal, through the seven letters of the uh in revelation Uh, we've covered the last few if you if you remember uh we this today will be our fourth letter we've covered ephesus the church of ephesus um i've recently heard these uh stereotypes slightly broad stroke about these churches um i don't think it completely fit but just to give us a sense of reminder a review of what these churches are ephesus is the church that done great work but had not loved abandoned their love. It's kind of like that fundamentalist church, the Bible-believing, word-believing church that uh, done a lot of great things, yet they have no love. They're conservative, but without love. Then we go to our second church, which was Smyrna. It would be likened to be the church of a suffering church. It was a church maybe in a 1040 window, suffering for Christ, maybe in the middle of, of, uh, of the ISIS territory, and they're standing firm for God. And remember, that church has no rebuke from God. And two weeks ago, we took a week, uh, break last week for Mother's Day, hear a great testimony, and we talked about the Church of Pergamum. The Church of Pergamum is like that party church, that compromising church. And according to this person, it, will be, it would have been the church that happens on college campuses where people will go to worship, and then they'll party on Friday, and then go to church on Sunday. It was that type of church. And so today, we're going to go to a, a, a fourth church, the Church of Thyatira. Thyatira, the church of Thyatira. Uh, but before we go, go, go to the text, I want to ask you a question and imagine with me for a little bit. Imagine you showed up in class in a college campus. You're a university student. You show up in class. Uh, you go to your favorite spot. Every student sits in the same, same spot over every semester. Um, you look out and your professors are teaching and then start telling you about the assignment that is due next week. Nothing unusual telling you to read the book, do the work, type out the paper. But this week, there's something different. You're supposed to write a letter. A letter to a state legislator, a state senator, a state representative. And in that letter, you're supposed to write this letter in support of homosexual adoptions. And in supporting homosexuals to, to adopt children into their families. You, after all, you're in a sociology class, you know that these topics comes up, but here's the, the, the cash for that assignment. You're not just trying to write this letter and send it to your professor. What you're supposed to do is you're actually writing this letter and mailing it to the actual state senator. And that is a required assignment, that is assignment that you know it within yourself as a Christian, that conflicts with your Christian values, conflict with your Christian beliefs and convictions about sexuality in the Bible. And here you are in for a struggle. Let me ask you, what will you do? Will you just go in and write that letter and send it in anyway just to get a grade it is, after all, a mandatory assignment that makes up a good portion of your grade. Or would you take the loss and not send that letter in? Would you go up to the professor and say, No, I will not write this letter because this is against my belief, my conviction, my Christian life, my Christian belief in the Bible. What would you do? I wish this was an imaginary event, situation that I conjured up, Because I was bored in my uh, preparing my sermon. But unfortunately, this is not a fictitious story. This actually happened to a student named Emily Broker, a student in Missouri State University. She chose to respond to the professor and said that she cannot write that letter. She cannot mail that in because of her Christian's belief. And as a result of that, she had to sit in front of a faculty board Accused and embarrassed for being anti-homosexual. He's being, she was being threatened to be kicked out of school because of what was called discrimination. That was the price that she, was, uh, she had to pay for rejecting, quote-unquote, this mandatory assignment. See, we continue to live in a world that is hostile to the truth. Hostile to the truth of what the Bible sees as truth. Hostile to God. Hostile to a Christian's belief and conviction. And as we look at the church of Thyatira today, we see a church who faced similar struggles. You would think that after over 2,000 years or so, things would change. But, but nevertheless, uh, oppression and hostility continue to rival against God. We're going to take a look at the church today. As we've seen from previous churches, some of the ones we looked at, that they had good things that were going on in the church, but there were also things that the Lord Jesus Himself accused them of and rebuked them of. So, do you want to take a look at the church of Thyatira? They face a similar chance than perhaps you and I have faced today. Just a little background. In fact, a very little background. Because Thyatira is not a city that what we've talked about, Ephesus, Pergamum, uh, Smyrna. It was not a big city. It was like a small city halfway between uh, Sardis, halfway between Sardis and Pergamum. Kind of uh, not a little town. It no longer exists today uh, as Thy- Thyatira. You can go to the ruin of Thyatira. But it's just a town that's filled with... Kind of blue-collar workers. Uh, a city maybe I've never been to, but I've heard is kind of like Pittsburgh. That's blue-collar. Everyone go in nine to five. There are many trade unions there. There are people who are working these blue- blue-collar jo- jobs are part of these guild, these uh, labor union, that they're all a part of this. It was filled up the whole city because everyone who lived in that city primarily worked for different trades. Maybe bronze, maybe woodwork, maybe brake. Whatever it is, they are a part of this, and, and there are certainly uh, uh, idol worship that we're known, familiar with in, in, in Asia, Asia Minor in that time, uh, worshiping the imperial emperor, worshiping Apollo, um, and the first, one of the first account is really interesting. This week, I had an opportunity to share devotion with our staff, and we were, happened to be in Acts chapter 16. One of the only other mentions of the city of Thyatira was a lady named Lydia. If you remember Lydia, she was a, uh, known as the woman of the purple cloth. She was selling purple cloth in the city of Philippi, and somehow she came along, heard the gospel among many women listening to the gospel, but she responded. So some have believed that perhaps she brought the gospel back to her hometown, Thyatira, and started the church. We have no idea uh, whether that really happened, but we know for sure the church exists there. And so when we go to the text, this is this little town, kind of uh, uh, not a huge city, but yet what we will find out is that this little town, this little church actually received the longest letter. Something to be said, something to consider. That smallness in size never equals smallness in influence or even being excused by the Lord for how we live our lives. I say, oh, we're small, doesn't matter. You know, our church is not big. It doesn't matter how we live. My life is not, I'm not up on stage. I'm not a leader. It doesn't matter. But the Lord says everyone matters because everyone belongs to him. Every Christian is a disciple of all of Christ. So in this small church, a long letter, here's what it says. Verse 18, picking up from the passage, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, again, you remember Jesus writing this letter, dictating that to Apostle John, and he's writing it down to the, to the church of Thyatira. And he says, it's the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Every letter, Jesus began with an identification of who he is, a particular character of himself to the church. And Jesus said here, very interesting, said, call himself the son of God. In fact, this will be the only reference in all of Revelation where God said, I am the son. Of, Jesus said, I am the son of God. Likely to rival Apollo, who is the son of Zeus. Here, Jesus said, no, 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 I am son of the God. Greater than Zeus. And the two character he says was this. He has eyes like flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze. Very, very familiar with the people there because there are uh, bronze workers that would know the purity of fire of purifying gold and purifying bronze and metals. Uh, uh, burn, uh, burnished bronze means they're pure bronze, powerful bronze. Like so, these two characters tell us a, a little bit about Jesus that he is one omniscient. He knows everything. His eyes have his flame of fire. He can see everyone, everything that's going on. And he also has feet, pure feet, strong feet, powerful feet to judge people. And remember, every quality that Jesus announced to the church, wrote to the church has to do with what they were dealing with. So let's take a look. Why? Why did Jesus have to tell them that I judge, I judge righteously, I, just, I, I judge justly, but I also see what you're going through. Jesus, as he always has done in these, each one of these letters, began with accommodation. Here's what he says. Church of Thyatira, I know your works, your love, your faith and service and patient endurance. And your latter works exceed the first. Man, these are some great accommodation from Jesus to this church. This would have been the church that you show up in town. Maybe you relocate and move to another city. You're looking for a church and you're going online, look for a church and you see all these great things happening in this church. They have a friendly, while you show up, they are welcoming. They're friendly. They have a great ministry for your kids, for your adults, for your teenage son. They're actively outreaching to the community. They have an opportunity for you to serve at church and outside of church. There's Bible study from Monday through Friday. There's everything that is going great. And in fact, they have something that more than what the church of Ephesus did not have. They did not just do good work. They did not just patiently endure. They love. Ephesus was a church that had great work and endures, but they had no love. But this church, they love. They love Jesus. They love people. I mean, if I go to a new city, if I want to go to church and check out, a church, that would be the church that we all want to be a part of. This small little church in Thyatira is the church of glowing success in ministry, even loving people. And then Jesus said, even in the midst of all of that, in spite of all of that, look at what verse 20 says. It says, but I have this against you. That you tolerate. I have this against you. That you tolerate. Here's the word. Here's the one thing. Here's the thing that Jesus has against this church of Thyatira. Is they had tolerated. If we have to put a title. A name for the church. It would be the church. Uh, Thyatira would be a a tolerating church. The word tolerate will, will summarize who they are. I have these things against you. You tolerate, man. For many of us living in twenty first century, the word tolerate is not a bad word. In fact, for many of us, tolerate is a good word. Think about the world. The world see tolerate tolerance as the number one virtue in this world. Everywhere you go, politically, online, socially. At school, everything is about being inclusive, about tolerating. I've once sat on a a, a training for foster uh, fostering children. And and out of four sessions, one of them was completely full day worth of material, learning how to tolerate, how to be accepting, how to be inclusive, no matter what a child think, feel, desire to do. Toleration is the name. Tolerance is the name of the game for the for for the world. And yet, somehow Jesus condemned the church of Tyre for tolerating. He said, we well, what well, we often make the mistake of thinking tolerate, tolerance is this, that we're unconditionally to accept and to approve of every single thing. It doesn't matter whether it is right or wrong, left or right. Tolerance means I'm going to accept everybody, accept everything." But I am also going to approve everything and approve everyone. It doesn't matter if you've done something wrong or right. It doesn't matter. Tolerance means blindly and conditionally accepting and approving. Jesus Scripture tells us that a tolerance, true tolerance, is not necessarily just approving, accepting everything and everyone. There's no standard because we see that we cannot tolerate to that level because Jesus never did it that way. So, you see, many people, when they look at the Scripture and the New Testament, say, well, see, Jesus is very tolerating. He hung out with sinners. I mean, He hung out with divorced women, prostitutes, tax collectors, rich, selfish ruler, traitor. He hung out with all these sinners. See, He must be very tolerant. He spent more time with sinners, people who done wrong, evil things, than He did with righteous people like the Pharisees. But what we forget is that Jesus, while accept all these people, meaning that he has compassion for all these people. He, he, he loves all these people. Jesus also did not approve of what they have done in their lives. That acceptance then does not automatically lead to approval. That Jesus actually showed compassion without compromising. That Jesus cared and concerned for these people. In fact, Jesus said, I came for these people for, because they are sick. I did not come for the health. I come for those who are, who, are, who are ill. But yet not approving of what they have done. Two instances came to mind for me. I think of the Samaritan woman. John chapter 4. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus uh, came across and saw, him, I saw her. And one day I ministered to her and talked to her. When nobody else was willing to do that in the middle of the day with a shady woman in town. And then, the, and then the woman answered, Jesus says, I have no husband. John chapter 4, Jesus said to her, yes, you're right in saying you have no husband. Because you had, ha, have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. You see, Jesus engaged love and, and, and accepted this person as, as, as someone who, 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 who has value and dignity. And yet, Jesus did not let her slide by, by, by hiding the truth that she had five husbands. And the one she's living with right now is not her husband. That is true, but that is also not right. See, Jesus accepted her but not approved of her, of her behavior, of her sin. I think of another instance, um, the woman caught in the, uh, adultery in John chapter 8. Jesus said those people who have, who have never sinned can throw the first stone and everybody just left. And then you, many times people will think that Jesus just told a woman to go away. But forgetting this last part, very important sentence that Jesus said in verse 11. Jesus said, no one, Lord. And when Jesus asked anyone uh, still here, and the woman said, no one. Meaning no one is around her throat, cast a rock against her, which is the penalty for being a, a, a woman of adult, adulterous woman. Then Jesus said this at the end. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. You see, Jesus did not tolerate. Oh, I'm not going to condemn you. I forgive you. And now just do whatever you want. Jesus told her specifically, sin no more. But the world calls us, expects us, put pressure on us. Squeeze us into thinking that tolerance means we must accept and we must also approve. And this is why Jesus was so harsh in the language in which he condemned and rebuked the people of God, the church of Tyre. He says, I have this things against you that you would tolerate. What did they tolerate? Let's look. go back to the text. What did they tolerate? Verse 20. It says, I have this against you that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. What did they tolerate? They tolerated this woman, likely not really her name was Jezebel. Scripture, uh, particularly in Revelation, make a lot of references to the Old Testament we saw that two weeks ago in Pergamum about Balaam and Balak. This week we see that Jesus referring to this woman that likely her name is not Jezebel, but it was referring to uh, the example of Jezebel in the Old Testament. You've never read the story. You should read it. it is, this woman was no kind person. This woman is no pure person. In fact, I was trying to be very careful when I Google search Jezebel online because there are all sorts of shady pictures showed up on my computer that I don't want. Uh, somehow it looks like I'm looking at something inappropriate. Because Jezebel was this woman back in First King. He, she was the wife of Ahab, King Ahab. She was a, a, a daughter of a Sidonian king. She was uh, worshiping Baal worship as a shroud, ashra. And at the time, it was these idols that 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 give license and freedom for people to involve in sexual orgy and, and all sorts of sexual immorality. And Jezebel married. I uh, got married with Ahab, and obviously Ahab was not supposed to do that, but because he had, he let the door wide open for Jezebel to seduce. To lead the country, the Israel, the people of God, into sexual immorality. Jezebel was a bad woman, a Baal worshiper. But not only did she pollute Ahab as a, in a family. And because him being a king influenced the whole nation of Israel to become immoral and idolatrous. You want to hear what, it was? Uh, all, all you need to do is go to 2 Kings 9 to see her, how wicked she was based on the punishment that was given to her. Here's what it says, verse 9 in 2 Kings, verse 33, Elijah, uh, God said to him, throw her down. Because at the end of her light, they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses. He trampled her underfoot, and when he came in, he ate and drank, and he said, see now to this cursed woman and bury her for she is a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, and they found nothing more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Therefore they returned and told him, and he said, this is the word of the Lord. which he spoke of his servant Elijah Tishbite, saying, in the property of Jezebel, the dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel will be as dung on the face of the field in the property of Jezreel. I cannot imagine a worse death that anyone can endure. It is no wonder why there is no one named Jezebel. Think about all your friends. There is no one named Jezebel because that name came with certain connotations. And wickedness and looseness and, and, and sexual immorality. And There was a woman among the church of Thyatira that they have tolerated. Now, if you're here in the church of Thyatira, you remember my introduction earlier that they were made up of all these trade and union. So teachers of their unions, uh, uh, the bronze worker union. And I want you to imagine if you happen to be in the BLT, the bricklaying trade union. Your job, your career is to lay brick. And, and for anyone to have, to have any business, any, any uh, work to be done, they have to join one of these unions. And what they do in this union gathering is that they don't just show up and take a vote. What happened is they go, and they first of all, they will worship and put these sacrifices to the, to the gods that they believe in who protect them. So for the BLT, they will sh- uh, give, give the, give the, maybe give the, the gods that they believe in to protect the bricklaying industry a certain amount of food and incense. And they will, they will worship them for the sake of protection and prosperity. And so if you're a part of that union, what you need to do is you need to take part in that. But that's not it because after you do, you serve all these food to the gods, what do you do? You eat them. You have a party. But those party those parties are not just party eat of eating of feast of just food. There will be orgies people sleeping with one another, it doesn't matter, if young, old, married, single, it does not matter, there will be alcohol, it will be, uh, people will get drunk and hammered, and so what would end up, end up happening, is if you're a part of those unions, you show up at those gatherings, you will be hammered, and you will be, you will be forced almost, to, to have to, to commit to do all those sexual morality, idolatry, idolatry, idolatrous things that people are doing, and so if you happen to be a bricklayer, at that, per, at that city and the city of Thyatira, you have a choice to make. Very much like the choice that Emily Broker that I shared with you earlier have to make. The one is, do I show up at these meetings at all? And if you don't, what happens is, you're not going to get business. You're not, not going to get support from the union. And eventually, you will be out of business. You have no job. You have no money. And if you do show up, you have to make a decision, do I actually participate in all these things? Do I actually go worship this God, which I know is not a real God? Do I eat the food that's offered to these idols? Do I drink with everybody else? My buddies are drinking, or am I going to sit in that corner and be a loser when everyone's having a good time, sleeping with whatever whoever they can find, drink it up, eat it up, and just sit there? And can you see that the the struggles, the pressure that these people are facing, the church of Thyatira, the Christians that are facing, they are stuck between a rock and a hard place. They feel the pressure to give in, but at the same time, they know that is not what I believe in. That's not the God that I worship. What should I do? And then Jezebel showed up at the church. This woman, Jezebel-like woman, showed up and started sharing and teaching. This self-proclaimed providence. He called herself a prophetess and said, don't worry about it. I mean, you're saved, right, by grace through faith. All it matters is that your soul is purified, washed by the blood of Jesus. You sing that on Sunday, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You're good. I mean, after all, the physical body, it'll go away, it'll decay, or die. What you do with your body doesn't matter. Man, if you offer food and eat it, what's the big deal? As long as you are clear that you're not worshiping that God, what does it matter? And so along the way, Jezebel-like women start preaching and teaching. And we see from the text that it's not just for some people. It starts making waves into the church. Because it's not just one or few people. But eventually, more and more people, in fact, in verse 23, it says this. They start making second generation, third generation of those believers. It says, I will strike her children dead. I doubt it would be their physical, biological children. But likely, the people who have heard this teaching start teaching other people. And Jesus said, you have tolerated this type of teaching and this type of living among you. On one level we can we can look at these Christians and say, Man, like I can feel it. Right after all, tolerance is easy. Right? I mean we we, we, many of us are being tempted in the same way because we feel the squeeze from the society, we get a squeeze from, from within our own temptation. We are stuck right there in between a rock and a hard place because some of us are being tempted inwardly because it is hard to live a Christian life, isn't it? I think it was uh, bon, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said this, that salvation is free, but discipleship will cost your whole life. And to quote a better theologian, Jesus himself, he said that if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. We must crucify ourselves. So I understand and I feel the same thing as many of you do, that as Christians, it's hard to live the Christian life, to be like Jesus. And being tolerant will make things a whole lot easier. And let me be personal with you for, for a minute. I mean, after all, just me and you on the screen here. Being intolerant to the world's values and sin is hard. Like being intolerant to the, to the sins of the world means that I actually need to get up out of my chair out of my seat in a movie theater when I'm watching a movie that show that become too violent or too raunchy. is incredibly inconvenient that I'm listening to songs I like the tune of. But the words are, 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 are incredibly inappropriate. And in fact, it leaves scenes in my head thinking about those things after I listen to it. I mean, I'll be even more specific. I used to love the show Modern Family. But what it promotes in that show... It's diametrically opposed to what God has said to be true. And so being intolerant to the values of the world, to the sins or the evils of the world, means that I actually have to stop watching that show. Being intolerant to the world is incredibly inconvenient, uncomfortable, and at times costly. So inwardly, we feel this temptation to want to tolerate it, just take it like these Jezebel's teaching, let's just go along with it, who knows. But not only inwardly, I think even outwardly, we face outward pressure as our world continue to be hostile to the truth of God continue to be to be pressing not just for for agreement but for support for the sins of the world for the things of this world i mean think of the labels that christians get in our society today most of the time it's not positive labels if you don't go along with the moral sexual revolution you are called a prude you're old-fashioned if you don't live by the progressive liberal agenda of the world. You are a bigot. You're a narrow-minded. You are that caveman in the picture of the textbook that dragged that club around. What is wrong with you? I listed some titles here, uh, some, some, some news headlines for you. I didn't make this up This street from the newspapers and from, from online website. California pastor arrested for reading Bible in public. California University, the policy handbook, defines Christians as oppressors. Texas School Punishes Boy for Opposing Homosexuality. It's April, 20, uh, April 2008, Crystal Dixon, a woman who works for the Human, human Relations relation, uh, Department in the School of uh, University of Toledo, once wrote a letter to a local newspaper, to the editorial, uh, explaining herself and sharing her view that homosexuality is not the same thing as racism. That being against homosexual, homosexuality is not being, is not being the same as being discriminating against blacks or any ethnicity. She wrote this letter in her own free time, not at work, in explaining to the newspaper that people have a choice to choose in their gender. They have a choice and, and they, they can choose, but no matter what they choose, human being, regardless of their choices in life, this is her word that ultimately have value to God and should be viewed and accepted and loved. Yet what they do and choose might not be right. All of that was done in her own private time, not on the letterhead of the school. But you know what happened? Soon after that, the university officials fired her three days later since the letter was printed back in in the newspaper. They clarified specifically the reason for the firing was because of her letter to the newspaper all the while previously there have been many examples of people who are pro homosexuality have written uh responses to the newspaper yet they receive no punishment dixon was terminated for expressing her christian belief that was 2008 let me bring it closer home to us 2018 many of us in california perhaps in the uc system have heard of this story isabel chow student senator uc berkeley She abstained from voting. You don't know what abstaining means. Abstaining means she did not vote yes or no. She just simply did not vote for anything. From a vote supporting transgender rights in a campus. Because of her choice to abstain. More than 1,000 people signed a petition demanding her to resign from the student government. And if you just Google her name. On, uh, and, and look at the images that were searched, again, I have to be very careful because there are all sorts of evil, satanic pictures that were, that were manipulated with her face on it because people were so against her, not voting no, but knowing voting abstain. You see, we'll continue to live in a world that's against God and this truth. And I know that there's something so hard for us to listen to. And perhaps for some of you listening, you're not a Christian. You're thinking, see, that exactly is wrong with Christianity. That they are so narrow-minded. But you see, what happened here is, Isabel did not vote no. The moral revolution of this world will continue to push, not just for us to tolerate, they will continue to push until you agree and accept and embrace the things of this world to bring it even closer. During the season of COVID-19, Samaritan's Purse, an evangelical Christian relief organization led by Franklin Graham, the son of uh, the great Billy Graham, volunteered to offer medical help, set a mobile hospital in the center of a pandemic in new york city they offered to do it for free to set it up and you would think in a city where they're facing all these death and pandemic issues that they will welcome such such help but on the contrary here's what it says senator brad holman uh, who is openly gay in new york city protested the partnership with samaritan's first because why because they were worried that, that the Samaritan's Purse or, uh, mobile hostel will be only open to non-homosexual people. And yet in the policy many in the presentation, none of it was said. The only thing that was said that you will find in Samaritan's Purse policy is that those who volunteer to help, they must sign the statement of faith which support marriage to be between man and woman. That sexuality is male and female. That's all they ask of the volunteers because their mission is to help to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world through, through good deeds and through proclamation of the gospel. And yet a city rejected. We don't want your help for our dying people because you are not believing what we believe in. Our world does not want us to just tolerate. They want us to accept and believe in the, wor- of the of the sins of the world. And if you are intolerant to it, there will be a price to be paid. For some, it might be a position in a student body. For some, it might be a job. For some, it might be a relationship. For some, it may be accreditation. For some, it might be a friend. For some, it might be your job, your money, your family's at stake. We are being squeezed, and we are being challenged. We're feeling the pressure, and if you haven't felt it yet, the good news for you is the pressure will come in the closest in the in the, in the, in the near future. Because w- the world is increasingly against God, and here God said to us, and through Jesus writing to the church of Thyatira, you have tolerated these things, but in in in, in opposition to what you should have done, it says you should have hold fast. To what I said to be true. Verse 25 says this. Jesus said to the church of Thyatira. Verse 25. He says only hold fast. What you have until I come. Let me go back verse 24. But to the rest of you in Thyatira. Who do not hold this teaching. Who have not learned. What some call the deep things of sin. To you I say. I do not lay on you any other burden. Only. Hold fast what you have until I come. Hold fast is this idea of grabbing it, hugging it, not letting it go. Hold fast to the word of God. Hold fast to the truth of God. Do not compromise. Do not tolerate. Because anytime you tolerate a little bit of sin, the sin will go a whole mile. Do not let go of the truth of God. Hold fast. Cling on to it. Hold fast when you feel left out, when you're looking at your phone and your friends are having a great time and taking pictures and videos on Instagram. And you know the reason why you're not part of that is because you, they know that you would disapprove of the activity. Hold fast to the truth of God. Hold fast when people call you names, when call people make fun of you, make fun of the way you dress and, and say, how can you ever get the attention of a boy that you like, give you a crush on if you dress this way? hold fast to God the truth that purity matters holiness matters hold fast when your workplace demands to fire you because you because they are forcing you demanding you to violate your Christian belief and conviction about God hold fast when you're out on a business trip when all your coworkers are getting hammered in a bar The next thing you know that they're not only getting hammered, they're about to go to a strip club and they're telling you join, join them. Hold fast. Hold fast to the truth of God. Hold fast to, to to the holiness of God. Hold fast. When your boyfriend threatened to break up with you because you're unwilling to put out. Hold fast the truth of God. we got to hold fast the truth of God, the holiness of God. Because Jesus said in this letter that he will judge us. He will judge us. Listen to the language here in verse 23. Uh, 20, uh, 2023. Jesus said, I have this thing against you. Do this, because you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, is teaching, seducing. And verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual morality. Behold, watch out! I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her words, works. And I will strike her children dead. You notice what it says in verse 22 is the idea of a sickbed. When they were doing these these sexual morality and worshiping these idols what they do is they actually are on a bed. They will lounge, it will just get get very easy for them to drink, to eat, to have sex with, with with whoever they want. And Jesus said, "This was once a bed of pleasure for you. And if you're unwilling to repent, what I'm going to do to you is I am going to put you in a bed of suffering." that you actually go through tribulation because you have been uh, you have been living uh, against what I prescribe to be true you have you have not been living holy lives for me i will punish you we ought to hold fast to the word of god to the truth and holiness of god because god said he will judge this is also the reason why jesus said i'm the son of god i have eyes like flame of fire i will see here's here in uh, in in verse uh, 20 24, uh, 23, he says this, I am he who searches minds and heart. He has eyes that can see. It doesn't matter if your coworkers tell on you, if your family asks you, or what you do behind the, the computer screen in a dark room. It does not matter because Jesus knows what's going on. His eyes can see through your hearts, see through your thoughts. And he says, I have burnished bronze that will judge. Each will be given to the judge according to the work that they have done. I will give to each of you according to your works. So how we live our lives as Christians, how we hold fast to the word of God and the holiness of God is never a trivial task because Jesus said it is not a trivial task. But in the midst of judgment, and we see this grace, this gospel of grace. Look at it with me again in verse 22. At verse 21, I gave her time to repent. Who's her? Jezebel. Even that self-proclaimed jezebel like woman who have led people astray even her god somehow miraculously and sovereignly have somehow warned her and called her to repentance god said i gave her time to repent and it is not the first case that god judged him and that she disintegrated and and on that bed of sovereign god said i'm going to give you time to repent but that time does not last forever and he said it again that un- unless you repent of your work of work, I will throw those with her in a great trib- tribulation. See, we see this this crazy picture of God's sovereign judgment, and at the same time, we see His beautiful grace. And so, to every one of you, every one of us who is struggling with tolerating with the sins of the world, I want to encourage you, and call you, and, and exhort you by the word of Jesus to repent. That perhaps is the word as we walk through these letters, being used the most by Jesus, what a gift of grace. That in our darkness, that in our sin, even when we are are repeatedly sinning against, God calls us, draws us in to call us to repent. And as a result, and a promise to us when we repent, he promised to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, let's commit to memory. Let's commit to obedience of 1 John 1, 1.9. And if you are struggling with tolerating the sins of the world in your life today, repent. You know, sin is more like a piece of bread than an ice. You know what happens when you leave a piece of bread out for, in, the, in the open? It dries up and become hardened. See, sin is more like that than like ice. You know, Ice, you leave it out, it melts. Sin will never melt away on its own. If you leave it be, let it be, let it sit, let it just fester, what happens, it just hardens up even harder and harder and drier and drier. It will be increasingly harder to bite into that bag, to get rid of it. So Jesus calls us to repent. We must hold fast because Jesus will judge, but he gives us this, this grace that we can repent to him. But here's the second thing and the last thing. That we must hold fast because Jesus will reward us. And I love reading these letters because it always, always ends with the promise of his reward. He said that he will reward us. Here's what it says. The one who conquers, verse 26. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end. If you just hold on if you just hold fast to my if you just hold on with what I teach you to do and you live it out in obedience, he said, I will give authority over the nations. I will, he will rule with them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Jesus promises that right now you might feel like you're being judged, you're being crushed. There is this, this king in this world, this prince of the world, who's crushing you, pushing you down. You're being pushed out to the, the outer edge of the society. You might feel like you're in the bottom of the pole, totem pole. Jesus said, one day, if you just hold out, if you just hold fast, I have a kingdom that you will rule with me forever. If you continue to read in Revelation, there will be one day Jesus will return. He will have his eternal kingdom. And we will, those of us who hold fast to Jesus and live with uh, for his glory in this world, we, as we hold fast, he will give us a place of authority, a share authority with him. As the Father gave him authority, he gives us authority to rule with him. That we no longer will be at the bottom But we will rule with righteousness with him. Oh, what was wrong in this world? He promised you and I his own kingdom. But it gets even better that he not only promises a place to rule in his kingdom, he says this Verse 20, I will give him, those who hold fast to me, the morning star. The morning star. If you just flip over to Revelation 22. The morning star represents Jesus Christ himself. You won't get a star named after you. But you will get Jesus. The bright and morning star. The star who is glorious. Who is sparkling because of the purity. Who is glistening because he is holy. We get Jesus. If we hold fast to God, if we hold fast to his righteousness and the holiness, we get Jesus. And I don't know if that ma- matters to you at all. It should. But a lot of times I, I, I realize how little we value having Jesus with us for eternity. Perhaps it will help you. Um, people often ask, Hannah and I, what do we love to do with our kids? The God honest truth is, I don't care what I do with my kids. Because all I care is I just want to be with them. But now if you ask my kids what they want to do with us, I'm sure they'll give you a lot of answers. Great Wolf Lodge, Chargers Game, Rams Game, the Mall. But as parents, you know what I want the most? I just want to be with my children. It can it doesn't matter what walking. It doesn't matter if we're playing Uno. It doesn't matter if we're at an expensive place. We're getting in a park. We're getting in our backyard with nothing. Our time to get our relationship together is the most precious thing that I have with my kids and my family. And I believe that's what Jesus is telling you. Man, you can have all the accolades in the world. You can have all the followers, all the likes on Instagram. You can have all the friends, all the possessions, money. It doesn't matter how many letters behind your name. It doesn't matter. Because only Jesus is going to be matter. Because all those things one day will all go into the ground and disintegrate. One day all those, all those accolades will be gone. The only thing that will last will be Jesus. And if we believe in Jesus, put our faith in Christ, and we hold fast to to, to, his, to his holiness, we get to have an eternal relationship with Christ that started out today. We believe in him and for eternity. See, Jesus is all we need. And Jesus said, That's all. That's gonna be all for you. When I come back, there will be nothing that will separate us. There's nothing that can keep us. There will be no more sin, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. Everything else will just be a bonus for us. Because we will have Jesus. We will have the bread of life who truly satisfies. We will have the light of the world who guides us. We will have the door of the sheep who will protect us. We will have the resurrection of the life who transcends this life, what this life can offer to us. We will have the good shepherd who cares and provides for us in ways that we don't even know that we need provided for. We will have the way, the truth, and the life because now we'll be reunited with God forever. And he said, we will have the true vine because we will have this mystical union with Christ. Not that we'll be God, but that we will experience God in ways that we'll never, never, ever have experienced here on earth. But until then, we must stand firm, hold fast. When I sing in Christ alone, I just want to end this with the last verse as an encouragement to us. It says, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hands, till he returns, or calls me home here in the power of Christ, I stand. So let's pray. God, we confess to you. Sometimes it is hard. God it is hard to live in this world, Lord. We are tempted inwardly by the fleshly desires, by the temptations. And we're being squeezed from the world. Lord, so much of us want to have a, a life of ease, of security in this world, but yet, God, you promised us there will be something far greater in the future. You promised us your kingdom and you promised us yourself as king. So as we sing, God, reminds us, while we're here on earth, We stand in your full power. That though we may stumble and fall. We have available to us. The fullness of your power. So help us God. Have grace upon us. Mercy upon us. Help us to hold fast to you. No matter how the world views us. No matter how the world squeezes us. Help us to be faithful to you. Until the end.